Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me in Edinburgh is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery. How's it going, Ian? Good. I said with me in Edinburgh. Like, I'm not in Edinburgh. I'm in Melbourne, Australia. A long way from Edinburgh, Matt, but we'll get the wheel spinning. I'll get it spinning right now. While the wheel's spinning, Matt, we got all of our episodes on Spotify. Yes! So, you beauty! If you prefer to listen on Spotify... Uh, all of our episodes there was some blockage in the system and that is gone so it's just and they're all up a there whole amazing array of wheel of sport episodes on there so jump on spotify if you have friends as well who listen uh is that if that's a preferred platform send them the link through to i'll put the link for spotify in the show notes Please the do. wheel has long stopped spinning matt it it has man and it's it's wondering why we're not asking it uh, the answer is True Grit this week, Ian. Oh, True Grit. Oh, yes. Do you fancy this one? I fancy this one, Matt, because uh, you're a man sat in Edinburgh right now. I am. Edinburgh, Scotland, a very famous uh, city that is uh, full of history, but it's also full of sporting stars. Of and this is one of them. This is the story of Alan Wells. Matt, he was born just south of Edinburgh. And it's quite an amazing story for so many reasons, partly because of, of his athletic achievements, um, particularly for Scotland, uh, but Great Britain and in the Olympics, no less. Okay, so this is an Olympic story. Yeah, but the other thing that this story has lots of is international diplomatic tension. Which Ooh. I know our listeners love. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it also has um, just so many subplots to this simple sprinter from Scotland. Alan Wells. Alan Wells. So he's born in, in 1952. He, in his junior years, he kind of uh, is a good athlete. He's, he's starting to like win the triple jump at junior level long jump he starts to kind of win you know on a national level um he's pretty handy but he's winning in triple jump not sprinting yeah yeah so triple jump and long jump is his uh, speciality mm-hmm. and he goes along uh, to the 1970 commonwealth games now as you know matt the 1970 commonwealth games were held in edinburgh and so you know we talk about you have to see something uh, to be something Alan Wells, he watches uh, a Jamaican sprinter, Don Quarry, who really inspired him. But it takes him a good six years to get to anywhere close close to the standard that you'd need to be a competitive sprinter. From 1970, Alan Wells decides that he's going to carry on with the long jump, but he's really got this thing in his mind where he's thinking, well, I'd love to sprint one thing that puts him off though is that he he said uh, i wasn't sure about sprinting because i don't know if i could take getting beat by five people at once right <laughs> so, so obviously a long jump there's a there's a delay in in how you get beaten yeah yeah <laughs> it's not piled on that's a good line uh, that. 1974 he becomes the scottish indoor long jump champion so clearly he's very quick in that first period of Mm. you know what's required is uh you've got to be so quick to approach the board in long jump 
But it takes him six years to run around 11 seconds at the 100 meters. Okay. Now, 11 seconds is remarkably quick, but it's still but not quick enough. It's not enough, is it? Yeah, of course. Anyone familiar with the 100 meters knows that, like, if you watch the 100 meters, the, the person who finishes dead last looks miles behind. <laughs> but when you look at the the times, they're like, 0.7 of a second behind yeah. but 0.7 of a second over 100 meters is seems a lifetime yeah, so he's running kind of that 11 second mark in 1976 he wins the triple a indoor 60 meters in 1977 but it wasn't until 1978 where he starts to become noticed as a genuine competitor and a sprinter at 100 and 200 meter distance the the reason for this is that he has decided with his wife Margot, who incidentally was a scottish 100 meter hurdles champion uh and became his coach that he was going to dedicate his time to becoming a top class sprinter and so he spent days upon days in a cold like breeze block or bare brick garage in a in Edinburgh, Matt, mm. <laughs> in the cold, probably seeing his own breath, doing this regime of sit ups and press ups and strengthening uh, techniques to strengthen his legs and his arms and build a body that was suitable for a top class sprinter. He got mm. asked about this. You know, people were saying this was dedication. He said, he actually said, it's not dedication, it's madness. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for a one-liner, isn't it? Yeah, so, it, well, his self-awareness is, is very uh, endearing in people. And to think, Matt, at this stage, it's completely amateur. So he's completely unfunded for this. He's not mm. getting paid for it. He's working. He, he'd taken up an apprenticeship as an engineer when he was 15 when he left school and he's kind of he's worked his way up in the company so that he can take breaks to go um to race meetings and stuff at the weekend or midweek and it's not going to impact too much on the business and that type of thing but the idea that you you i mean it is madness to sit in a cold edinburgh garage on the side of the house yeah i mean so depressing as well (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so upsetting the idea Everyone's got a you know, dream. This, yeah like this this man in a, a cotton white t-shirt who's worked up so much of a sweat he's got to wring out his t-shirt but he can see his own breath it's yeah, like that's <laughs> grim and potentially with no payoff i mean he you know running around 11 seconds even getting closer the the idea that you could just work your way into being a top class sprinter um, seems complete folly. He's also got the struggle of the facilities around Scotland in the 1970s where he's really, the technology and the funding is not there. So he's turned up to race meetings and it's just somebody with a stopwatch. Hmm. You know, So he's trying to run and improve, but someone with a stopwatch can't tell him whether he's shaved 0.0 of a second off or yeah. not you know so it's really difficult for him 
it was in 78 where he managed to run a race meet in Gateshead, winning the UK 100 and 200 meter championship. Uh, he actually breaks a British record. He runs wow. the 100 meters in 10.29 seconds. Goodness me. He's knocked a lifetime off the time. Like that's, it's an, ext- that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Hard work and dedication is paying off. He actually goes to the Commonwealth Games in 1978. So he'd been watching the Commonwealth Games in uh, 70 in Edinburgh, inspired by the Jamaican sprinter. And now he finds himself in Edmonton, Canada in 78. He wins gold 200 metres. He takes out the silver in the 100 metres. And his team win the four by 100 meter sprint wow uh, relay so i wouldn't have thought you'd be you know to go from uh, obviously the long jump or the triple jump where it's quite a short distance isn't it to build up the speed quite quickly i can sort of see how that would transfer into the 100 meters but 200 you know the start is only part of it and then it's really it's almost an endurance race so that's incredible that he's been able to transfer you know, basically across three different disciplines of uh, of running and, and winning gold at the Commonwealth. What, what an athlete. Well, it's interesting. A previous episode we did on Jonathan Edwards, the triple jumper who still holds the world record for triple jump uh, from 1995, I think it was set. He was the quickest sprinter in the British team in the first 30 metres. Mm-hmm. He could beat like world record holders over 30 metres. Could he beat them over 60 metres? No. Could he beat them over 100 metres? Definitely not. So it shows you that you can be so quick, but also that need for stamina as well. Mm -hmm. And that's where the muscle comes in. And this is where he's been working so hard in that garage. That is incredible. To put on, you know, basically to become a thoroughbred. Like he's basically putting on so much muscle to be able to deliver the power. Um, In 1979, he... He beats uh, the new world record holder, Pietro Menia, in the 200 metres in the European Cup uh, in Italy, so on Pietro's home turf, which is quite staggering. And in 1980, this is where it gets interesting, Matt, because the 1980 Olympic Games are scheduled to be held in the Soviet Union city of Moscow. Mm. Or for our many... American listeners, Moscow. But I will refer to it by its name, Moscow, for the rest of the podcast. Apologies. Um, so the games are being held in the Soviet Union, which is all set to go ahead. It's all fine until the Soviet Union invade Afghanistan in the January of 1980. Yeah. This shouldn't really have an impact on the Olympic Games because... The Olympic Games is all about building bridges, not walls. The Olympic yeah. Games is all about, you know, hand handshakes of peace and doves and all those, you know, sport wins regardless of the politics. Uh, but in this year, it becomes a huge political football. So the Soviets have invaded Afghanistan. 65 countries end up boycotting these Olympic Games led by the USA the United Kingdom under Margaret Thatcher, apologies for using the T word, but they also boycott the games. Yeah. Now, Alan Wells is 28 years old. He's at the prime of his life 
as an athlete. He's qualified for the Olympic Games in Moscow. Alan Wells is going to that Olympic Games. Really? As a rebel? He has to go. He has to go, doesn't he? It, it's it's unfathomable that like you would not go. Like as though if you don't go, then that's gonna have some material impact upon people in Afghanistan. It's a really tense time because Thatcher's government they really try to bully the British Olympic Committee. The British Olympic Committee, the um, administrator Dennis Follows, he decides that there is no um, reason to not go to the Olympics. He is a man all about sport and mm-hmm. making sport win out. His job isn't politics. His job isn't international warfare. His job is getting athletes on the track. And yeah taking part in sport and so he writes thatcher writes to him and threatens him she she's bullying the boc really trying to put the hard word on them to boycott these olympic games he will not fold thatcher then instructs the british government to send letters individually to any athlete who is thinking of going to moscow to compete so just to be clear, so she's hardballing the British Olympic Committee's administrator, and then when that's not sort of having any success, she then goes after the athletes individually. Yeah, it's kind of this really uh, orchestrated campaign to stop British athletes from going uh, to the Olympics. And they send these strongly worded letters uh, to the athletes, trying to guilt trip them into not going to Moscow. Yeah. There's like five or six letters go out to each athlete in a series the last letter had a picture of a uh, young child uh, who was dead with a a toy doll like just a couple of inches from her open hand saying if you go you're responsible for dead civilians goodness me i mean it's margaret thatcher as well sending these like taking moral advice from margaret thatcher is like taking driving lessons from stevie wonder it is obscene that she should get up on her high horse and morally lecture other people you know considering as well that you know she was happy to still do trade with south africa in the apartheid regime so she has got no leg to stand on I will end that political uh, (laughs) rage against her. But I think um, I've made my feelings clear. Some athletes, because the British Olympic Committee stand firm, they end up going to Moscow. Now, obviously, 65 countries are not in the Olympics, most notably the USA. For a sprinter, the USA dominates sprints. So... So would, was there, any, there was no rebels from America then or from some of these other countries? So there's obviously going to be British rebel sportsmen taking part in, in the Games, but America didn't have that? No, so they're not. Um, the British team, because the, the British Olympic Committee are sanctioning them to go, they're not rebels. They, okay. they are legitimate. So even though they're not taking the word of their government, they're still taking a word of the Olympic Committee, which is fine. Okay, um, so. Right. They do go legitimately. Uh, Interestingly as well, I mean, you look at some of the other names of the athletes and the the Olympic stories from 1980 uh, in Moscow were amazing because 
you know, you had uh, obviously Alan Wells, but you had Steve Ovett and Seb Coe, Daly Thompson, Duncan Goodyear, all won gold medals in, in that games. To imagine British sporting history, Ovette and Co. one of the great, we, we'll definitely feature them in a future episode, I'm sure. And so the true grit here from Alan Wells is that he's been working so hard to get to this point. He's qualified for the Olympics. He's been sent letters by his own government uh, imploring him not to go. But it was actually the last letter that um, really done, did it for him. He said, I'm definitely going because if you're trying to blackmail people essentially by sending, you know, or guilt them into not going by using it, he said, it's not going to make any difference. A Soviet soldier isn't going to go, ah, oh, I'm not going to kill that person now that uh, Alan Wells has turned up in Moscow. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, and the true grit just goes on because Wells shows up in Moscow and he has this terrible back pain. So for two and a half weeks before the games, he cannot train. Oh. He's going on, he's in these intensive, he has these four intensive sessions of therapy every day, a physical therapy to try to rectify his back. But he's just, he just can't do it. He just can't train. Um, and so you would think that would put him back like severely but in retrospect it it helped him out because it really helped him relax and kind of he was he was just um one of the books he said he just read books and like did his therapy read some books relaxed for the okay. two and a half weeks before the Olympics. holiday in, in yeah. moscow one of the one of the books that he read was uh the nuremberg trials i mean <laughs> <laughs> bit of light reading for your holiday in moscow relaxing uh literature there um because of this relaxation he he was really uh in in a good shape mentally and he was running really well when he got to the track he qualified for the final uh by setting a new british record oh, he wow. runs 10.11 seconds <laughs> he's taking loads of time off over a second that- over a, a tenth of a second off Matt, this is 1980. As we record, that is still a Scottish 100-meter record. Wow. What chance. So it shows you how quick it was. So he's into the final, having broken the British record, almost running close to to 10 seconds. Uh, He's in the final. And the field, look, it's missing the Americans. So it's not potentially not as strong as it should be. The weird thing as well, Matt, is in modern Olympics, you get your lane draw by yeah. your time mm-hmm. and how you qualify. Then they just drew lots. Okay. <laughs> so it was completely random where you were. And the quickest uh, competitor to Wells was Silvio Leonard, who is Cuban. Obviously, he had quite a lot of support in Soviet Russia. Yeah. Because of the relationship with Cuba. Uh, So Leonard starts in lane one, potentially the favorite for this race, and he's in lane one. Wells is also a favorite for the race, lane eight. Oh, that's great. (laughs) So Miles apart. So it's that's strange in itself. Um, But the race 
kicks off and it's basically a V formation forms. Yeah. You've got lane one and lane eight gunning down the track and the slower runners in the middle just kind of not being able to keep up. The inverted V, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite extraordinary. And with seven metres to go, they're, they're neck and neck. They are so close. This race is so close. They both cross the line and get given the same time. Oh, wow. It's crazy. 10.25 seconds. You'd be which, disappointed with that. Yeah, which is, it's just extraordinary that they've ran that quick, but also that they've ran exactly the same time. Now, it goes up on the scoreboard 10.25 for both of them. Mm. And they have an anxious wait to see whether they can decide who the winner is. Now, because it's Moscow, because it's in the Cold War, the Soviet Union, you would think the the Cuban guy, Leonard, is going to be a Just good shout. It. Yeah, <laughs> of course. For, for this. But they work out there's about seven and a half centimetres in it, which Wells, because he sensed that he was neck and neck with Leonard. Seven meters to go, he started to dive for the line, so he ducks his head and shoulders really drastically and tries to really throw himself across the line. And it was really effective. That's what wow. won him the gold uh, with that time of 10.25. That's amazing. It's an extraordinary tale to think that he's fought off his own government. He's, you know, been in this shed in <laughs> garage in Edinburgh in the cold weather. He's been knocking around, you know, the triple jump and long jump circuit and the athletic circuit. He's still been working his job and he's managed to get to the Olympic Games and win gold. And With a dive. Fantastic. And um, Yeah, an amazing... Um, fact as well matt is that at the time he was the oldest uh, 100 meter champion of all time so he's 28 at the time that was the oldest 100 meter champion ever he is also remains at the time of recording the last white male to have won an olympic 100 meter gold ah. which is uh pretty and he's the last Scottish, definitely, to <laughs> win Olympic 100-metre gold. Uh, he also went on in the Olympic Games to win silver in the 200 metres, setting a new British record again, 20.21 seconds. But, of course, his gold medal is devalued because 65 countries, including the USA, are not at these Olympic Games. So it's yeah. like saying, well... You won gold, but you didn't race against the best. So whether uh, Olympic gold is worth the same as others... Gold to gold, though. I'm sure that's how he feels. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Go go and weigh it in at cash for gold or cash for <laughs> you'll, uh You'll soon find out what it's worth. But what's interesting is despite his back problems, and obviously he's gone into this uh you know he's at the end of the athletic season with the olympics being the the culmination of that and he's just set a british record and won olympic gold two weeks later there's an invitational 
athletics meeting in Koblenz in West Germany. Uh-huh. Now, invited to that invitational is a whole team of sprinters from the USA. That team, Floyd, Latany, Glantz, and Carl Lewis, right. all in that team. He goes to Koblenz to run against the US team two weeks after he's won Olympic gold. Brilliant. He records a time of 10.19 seconds, 100 metres, which wins him. Wow. Is that his fastest ever time as well? No, his fastest is 10.11. Right, okay. But still, we're talking 800ths of a second there. Amazing. And he's won it, and he's beaten the Americans. So now he gets to say, I would have won anyway. To the point where the American sprinter Latany went to him after it and said, for what it's worth, Alan, whether you, you, we were there or not, you deserve that gold. That's you brilliant. You would have beaten us. That's classy. It is, isn't it? And in 1981, uh, the year after, he wins the IAAF uh, World Cup uh, where he beats Carl Lewis in the 100 metres. Uh, and his career then kind of peters out a little he uh he does run in the la olympics but he only makes the semi-final he'd be 32 by then now wouldn't he so pushing on yeah yeah and then in 1986 he actually uh, went to a race meet at crystal palace uh in london uh, yeah and beat linford christie oh wow linford christie who went on to be a world record holder in the 1992 olympic games so uh, it shows he still uh, was good around it. the traps. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a really curious thing that this Olympic Games that wasn't supposed to happen for Britain ended up resulting in some amazing Olympic stories. Wells being one of them, uh, but twenty-one medals in total for the British team. And you know, when you think of like runners of the ilk of Ovet and Co, and then an athlete, the decathlete. Uh, Daly Thompson you know you're talking household names Duncan Goodhue the swimmer yeah. like amazing amazing athletes who would have been denied this Olympics um, had Maggie had away but Alan Wells went on to he became a systems engineer lived down in Kent I think it was Surrey or somewhere retired down there he became a coach for the uh, great British bobsleigh team oh brilliant <laughs> Which is which is all about, you know, quick power. Yeah, this this guy, sprint. he can he can transfer across disciplines, can't he? I love it. Yeah, but the, the I researched all of this, Matt, and I probably just have to put a footnote in at the end just to just to acknowledge this that he was Wells was actually featured uh, in uh, BBC Panorama uh, investigative uh, documentary in 2015 um, because. Remember, I told you that they, uh, the Scottish team, had won the four by one hundred meter relay. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, two of the members of that team, uh, who were very good athletes in their own right, Drew McMaster and David Jenkins, they in the nineteen nineties both admitted that they uh, had taken banned steroids to assist their performance. And now. To be clear, Alan Wells has denied that he's ever taken any uh, banned substances and has also uh, spoken out against any athlete who does and said, you know, they deserve whatever's coming to them if they uh, do cheat. 
But Drew McMaster in particular appeared on this documentary and basically said that he, Alan Wells, uh, was doing the same as they were, which puts some of these achievements in the shadow or in doubt, maybe. Yeah, uh, but there's a bit if of. We make the, uh, there was a, a, a quick rise to, uh, <laughs> to, to getting those quick times. But I think, you know, the episode is true grit. Um, if we assume Wells. Uh, if we take Wells by his word that he in, innocent till any... proven guilty, I think we sort of have Correct. to, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that he showed amazing true grit, an amazing character uh, to be knocking around that athletics circuit in Scotland and uh, to really work his way up to be a top class athlete from Scotland, a sprinter who was beating <laughs> Carl Lewis, yeah, that's Linford Christie. And you know a whole you know, and to win gold in in Moscow as well is quite remarkable. Um, Wells clearly has a bit of a beef with uh, Drew McMaster, his former uh, colleague. Wells actually said said that he thinks that Drew McMaster, he said maybe he feels I kicked him in the ghoulies too much, <laughs> which. I can't say in a Scottish accent. I can only imagine how how good that sounds in Scottish accents. The word ghoulies I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, that's a great word. <laughs> what what a way to hear it. So true grit, Matt. Yeah, incredible story that Ian. The whole thing of the diplomacy, the politics, and just the individual endurance to be able to uh, get on the world stage as a Scottish sprinter is quite extraordinary. Absolutely fantastic. No, and it's not a story I was familiar with, so thank you very much for sharing. And thank you very much to, to you, listener, for, for, for joining us uh, again for, for some of the greatest sports stories ever told. Um, do get in touch with the show. As Ian said at the start, we're now on Spotify, or well, back on Spotify after a, a bit of a hiatus, uh, so you can listen to us there uh, as, well as well as anywhere else. Please review us and share us with your friends. And, uh, yeah, get in touch with the show if you've got any suggestions, uh, either via email the wheel of sport at gmail.com or on Instagram or Twitter uh, at the wheel of sport. And Matt, I think we should give a, a shout out to everybody who's left a review for the show. Apparently it helps with algorithms and things, but regardless of that, it's just nice for us. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> We've it's nice knocked to, out. to enjoy. Like I think the wheel of sport has 60 episodes plus out there now that people can listen to for free if you are a fan of the show and enjoy listening please do spend a little bit of time just to give us a review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast or send us a a, a kind message would be nice as well Always nice no negativity <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks so much, so much Matt alright and see you all in a couple of weeks 65 countries boycotted the 1980 Moscow Olympic Games. One country still went Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs>